Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Third and Short Podcast. As always, I am your host, Tyler Fiella, with my co-host, Joe Lewis. What's going on, people? So we kind of are doing a fly-by-night kind of episode here because now towards the end of the season, these games are going to start getting not worse, but they're going to start getting kind of, you know, repetitive and kind of boring. So we're less important. Yeah. Unless you know, championship weekend comes along, which is in two weeks. So, you know, we figured, you know, why not just take a, a quick detour? We're still going to go over last week's games. We're not going to go over this week as much, but we've got this week, we've got uh, awards coming up um, the championship weekend. We're going to go over some controversy in the ACC and Big Ten. Um, we've got, you know, the rankings again came out on Tuesday. We're going to talk about that. So stay tuned <laughs> for all that. Um, but we're going to start it off with last week. Uh, I know you wanted to start it off with Alabama, so go for it. Yeah, so Alabama had, you know, what everybody was calling and what I called the one real revenge game. And they dropped 55 on LSU. Uh, LSU managed to score 17, which I believe is about 15 too much. But nevertheless, Mac Jones had another really good Heisman performance. He only incompleted eight passes. He went 20 for 28. He, you know, Alabama continues to get better and better. The defense, in my opinion, though, took a step back. The defense didn't look as dominant as they did against Auburn. But, uh, you know, they've got a pretty cakewalky kind of game in Arkansas this weekend. So, you know, it. This is a good time for them to just step back, see how good they can get before they play Florida in two weeks. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I mean, we're going to say it every week. They look like they're the most complete team in the country, and saying 17 points is too much, too many. I mean, that's saying something for their defense. Uh, they're playing incredible football, and I see nothing changing in the next couple weeks here. Um, going to move on. We're going to move on to Notre Dame. They played Syracuse. I mean. Syracuse was one and nine. This game was a breeze. They, I mean, Notre Dame led up twenty-one, but I'm assuming that was mostly in garbage time. Didn't really watch this game just because it was Notre Dame Syracuse. But Ian Book played well, like always. Um, they're strong. They're a strong team. I mean, they deserve this number two ranking. Uh, I see nothing changing here. But yeah, that's I, like I said, we're not going to do much of this, but we're just kind of looking at scores here and seeing from what we saw. <clears throat> um, I guess Clemson, they played Virginia Tech. They killed them. Trevor Lawrence played like shit, 12 for, 12 for 22, a touchdown. He did not play well, but he didn't really need to. So uh, you can take Ohio State for this one. Yeah, Ohio State, uh, they pretty much knew that this was more than likely one of the last games that they play prior to the CFP, and they made the most of it, putting up 52-12 to 12 against Michigan State. Uh, Justin Fields has another great game. They were without their starting center, and early in the game, that showed. The backup center was obviously a little rusty, uh, had some problems getting the ball to Justin Fields cleanly. But mm. overall, Ohio State looked good. Um, and, you know, I, I'll get into their their situation here in a little bit. Yeah, but we're, I'm going to... I'm going to stay on Big Ten here for a second. Indiana played Wisconsin last week. Mm -hmm. And, you know, two weeks ago, this would have been a highlight Big Ten game. Mm -hmm. uh, now, not so much with Michael Penix out. They had Jack Tuttle, the backup QB in. Indiana wins 14-6. Jack Tuttle had a decent game. 
Indiana just, you know, they're strong and they're competitive, but they're not explosive enough to be within the likeness of Ohio State. So, you know, it, it, is, it is what it is. But uh, we actually, the marquee game was a game <laughs> on ESPNU at 5.30 in the afternoon. Yeah. What what did you see out of that Coastal BYU matchup? Well, this I mean, this was I've never watched a college football game more intently than I did this one. I mean, I've never been it sounds weird, but saying I was excited for a BYU Coastal Carolina game sounds insane, but real college football fans will know that this game was so important for a lot of reasons. Um I mean, it was scheduled on a Tuesday. Yeah, they had no time off. to prepare. They had no time to prepare. Um, it was yeah, it was just thrown together in uh, the middle of the week, like nobody expected it. And when it was announced, they were like, "Oh my god!" Like this game could actually be really, really good. Um, Coastal Carolina and BYU—they uh, they both played incredible. Coastal's defense was unreal. Their defensive line is so good. Um, they did their part in keeping Zach Wilson on his heels. He probably had his worst game. This past weekend, he went 19 for 30, 240 and a touchdown. I mean, he played as well as he could have. Um, I think Coastal Carolina kind of was dirty a little bit. If you, everyone probably saw that, watched this game at the end of the first half, he threw a rare interception. And when they were returning it, I mean, it, two or three Coastal Carolina defensive linemen were just pouncing on him and just throwing him to the ground. I thought that was unnecessary and it didn't need to happen. Um, but I'm surprised they didn't get flagged for it. Well, yeah, they something should have happened. It was dirty. It was stupid. It didn't need to happen. So I don't I don't know why they did it. But regardless, um, this game was incredible. It lived up to its hype. It came down to the last play. I mean, literally, it came down to the last play, which was Zach Wilson throwing it to the two yard line, which gives me flashbacks. I mean, I wasn't alive yet, but this uh, the Super Bowl Rams and the Titans back in the day. Keith Dyson going short on the two-yard line. I mean, I think it was a lot closer than the two. I thought it was the half-yard line. It might have been, but uh, it was um, it was an incredible, incredible game. And I messed up that name terribly. I I know I did. Whatever. Um. Uh, so yeah, this game lived up to its hype. It was absolutely incredible. It was a great, great, great game. Um, uh, Coastal played great. They deserved the win. Uh, and the rankings, it didn't really, it helped them a little bit, but that was that. I mean, it was just an awesome, awesome game. It lived up to everybody's hype and it was just a great game to watch. It was the Coastal runs a very, uh, impressive offense. What mm-hmm. they they kind of run what looks like a triple option, <clears throat> and they BYU did their best, you know, and yeah. it just proves that there isn't a textbook way to stop this Coastal Carolina offense. You hold know on, their offense. Kevin Dyson, not Keith Dyson. I apologize. Ah, Kevin Dyson. But uh, yeah, no, Coastal's offense was just really good all night. Zach Wilson, you know, not his best game. But still, they kept it close. Zach Wilson drove them like 40 yards down the field with 48 seconds left and no timeouts. 
he got him to like the 40 yard line of coastal. That was, that's impressive to do that in 48 seconds, no timeouts. Yeah. I, I got to give it up to both teams. This was a very cool to watch. This was big for college football. Um, you know, the last minute scheduling and everything it, mm-hmm. you know, it provides hope for games in the future to uh, really be a lot more interesting. Yeah. And it's like, it's cool to see like other teams get this recognition other than, you know, your Bama's, your Clemson's, your Notre Dame's. I mean, Coastal Carolina, BYU, if you would have told me last year that this game would have been on ESPN and had CFP implications, I would have called you insane. Like, yep. I mean, BYU, don't get me wrong, they've been good for a couple years, and Coastal's kind of on the rise. But to say that these teams were both inside the top 20, one within the top 15, I wouldn't have believed you. Yep. No way. Um, all right, so that's really it for last week. Uh, the games weren't that great. I mean, well, actually, TCU upset Oklahoma State, so that's interesting. Um, other than that, every game kind of was okay. Stanford beat Washington, but Pac-12 is kind of not really there this year. So unfortunate, but we got to deal with that. Um, we're going to go next week. What's going on next week? Uh, oh, crappy game. It, it's a bunch of uh, warm-up Besides, games getting ready for championship weekend. Right. Besides, I mean, UNC-Miami, that's a pretty decent game. Both teams are within the top 20, Miami in the number 10 spot. Um, I expect it to be a good game. Both teams are playing decent football right now. So uh, North Carolina, three losses and inside the top 20 is embarrassing. But, okay, go off CFP. But uh, I don't know. That That's really it. I mean, Florida-LSU, maybe. I don't even like – that game's just – it's – going to be another Kyle Trask show but yeah this game this week sucks because no Michigan Ohio State will get into that whole thing um Cincinnati Tulsa would have been a great game to watch um, yep uh, that's really it for this week honestly in terms of decent games <coughs> well so I want to I want to talk about if Unless you've been living under a rock, you have been aware of the Big Ten and the Ohio State situation in terms of the CFP. Because we're not, we're, we don't really need to talk much football games until next week. I want to just talk about, you know, getting close to what this all is for, which is the college football playoff. So, the Big Ten has a rule that a team must play the average number of games of the entire conference to be eligible for their championship game. Now, the Big Ten West was averaging 6.7 games. Big Ten East averaging 7 games. Ohio State, with the cancellation of Michigan, is only playing 5. Nevertheless, I understand how the Big Ten has lifted that rule and allowed... Ohio State to schedule Northwestern for championship weekend in the Big Ten. I understand that there is a political football arena, and it all comes down to money, and I understand that. But as a emotional college football fan, this is bullshit. Yeah. I, um, you know, yeah. with, with this, they're obviously going to beat Northwestern. And, you know, Rightfully so. They are one of the top four teams in the country, and I can believe that. But if 
when they play, they'll this will be their sixth game next weekend. They will be going up against a Bama team that has played 11 games, a Notre Dame team that has played 11 or 12 games, a Clemson team that will either play 11 or 12 games, and or a Florida team that has played 11 or 12 games. They have played half. And they're getting a, what, a two-and-a-half-week bye week before Northwestern? I I understand, and I get it's unprecedented times and COVID and everything. Let me be frank. The Big Ten didn't want to play football this season. The Big Ten refused. The SEC decided they were going to play football, and they scheduled it so that if they had cancellations, such as the Bama LSU game, they had weekends open for each team to have a reschedule. And the SEC has played a full slate of games. I, I don't believe it's fair to the other teams that OSU has gotten in via Big Ten bias and has played half the games. That's gotta, that's gotta be fa- fixed. That's that's. I'm just livid about it. Yeah, I. Well, I, I said it last week, and I knew it was gonna happen. I I had a feeling that Michigan was just gonna. They could blame COVID all they want. We everyone in college football knows they did not want to play Ohio State. Harbaugh's they, trying to keep his job. Well, he's not going to. That's we're going to get that out of the way. He's he's gone after this year. But I hope so at least. I don't know what they're doing, but I hope. Um, so uh, Michigan was just trying to be like, yeah, we're not going to play Ohio State. Blah blah blah. blah. Little did they know. I mean, they probably didn't know, but they're going to – they essentially screwed Ohio State before this whole decision was made. And to be really honest, Ohio State hasn't really done enough to prove that they're college football playoff worthy. Now, that sounds crazy, but look at their games they played. They only – the best win they had was against Indiana, where they only won by seven. And Justin Fields played like <coughs> – ass like he played terrible but if look. preseason rankings weren't a thing and every team started at zero and rankings came out after two weeks into the season ohio state wouldn't have cracked the top 10 no no because those wins aren't impressive they're no. not impressive and you're beating what who nebraska rutgers like dude i'm sorry i don't care how by how many points you beat them by that's not impressive to me Ranked no. wins impress people. And the fact that the committee says, oh, they're Ohio State. We're going to put them in the playoff because they're Ohio State. Who cares? Like, I, 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 understand, like, I understand that money plays into this. And Big Ten is run by Ohio State. Like, you put Ohio State in the playoff, the Big Ten's going to get money. Now, it is dispersed evenly among Big Ten teams. So, look, other teams that didn't have a chance to make the playoff, relax. But for AM, Florida, Cincinnati's sake, I understand. I do. I understand why they're mad. Ohio State doesn't deserve to be at that four spot. They deserve to be... Seventh or eighth, maybe that's generous. And that's- I, I don't want to, I don't want to come across to to our listeners that we are 
saying that Ohio State's playing poorly because they're no, not. They're they're not. They're the farthest thing from it. Right. But they're it's not the bad. Up, it's the strength of schedule and the lack of play. Mm-hmm. It, you know, the college, the committee, the CFP committee consistently uses the phrase, it's about the body of work. The body of work is halfway complete and it's the end of the season. Yep. There, there is no body. You're getting a torso, maybe, but like, <laughs> there's nothing there. You've played five games and one of them was ranked. This Northwestern Big Ten Championship game is the second ranked game they've played all year. Mm-hmm. That that or that's the kind of numbers you see out of an FCS team. That that's that's something you would see out of a Cincinnati only playing two CFP top twenty five teams. You know, you in a Big Ten like this, and you know, granted, Penn State was ranked early. And that was, I think when they beat them, they were still like 10 or 12. But nevertheless, when it co- all comes down to it right now, they've won over one ranked team. And that's not good. No, it's it's bad. Like, yes, they, Ohio State's not a bad team. And if they were to be put in the playoffs, it would they would probably play well. I mean, they're Ohio State. They're well coached. They have a ton of talent. It's not like... Like I, I mean, no disrespect to Cincinnati, but it's like Cincinnati going in there and playing Bama and getting donkey stomped. Like, it's yeah. Ohio State can handle themselves accordingly. They're Ohio State. They're a powerhouse. They've been a powerhouse. They can. They'll do okay. But it's like you said, the fact that it's strength of schedule and ranked wins. Like they're not playing anybody. So put someone who has played a decent schedule, Florida or A and M. Put them in. Have Ohio State out of the playoff last year or this year? Sorry, Bama wasn't in the playoff last year. I mean, you can survive. Trust me. Without one of those teams in there. Well, so let me let me move on this conversation because I can talk circles around how the Big Ten has babied Ohio State into this. Yeah. But nevertheless, knowing that. The top three teams have played 9 or 10, 11 games. And then the couple teams below Ohio State have played 9, 10, or 11 games. Let me run this by you. Mm-hmm. Florida beats Bama, right? Yes. Florida obviously makes it into the CFP. Yes. Whose spot do they replace? Ohio State. Well, actually, hold on. Because that all depends on what happens in the ACC championship, obviously. Because Notre Dame, Clemson, Clemson loses again, they're out. They're out. Because you can't lose to Notre Dame twice and stay in the CFP. It's not going to happen. But we mm-hmm. don't know because the committee put a 5 win Ohio State team. So we don't know what's going to happen, honestly. But realistically, uh, Notre Dame wins. They take over the two. Or they might, they'll take over the one because Bama loses in the uh, SEC. That would just that would just be fair in the grand scheme of things. They lost the championship game. They moved down. So Notre Dame takes over the one. I think Bama goes to – I think they go to two. I think they'll three. go to like three or four. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't put uh, – yeah. But you got to put Florida in there. So they're, they'll be the four seed. Um, Maybe, maybe, maybe you put – 
Jesus. Uh, Cincinnati. I, I look, it's so hard to even say put Cincinnati in there. But, I mean, <laughs> why not? Why not? They need to beat Tulsa by like 60 in two oh, weeks. Oh, yeah. They have, to be, they have to win that game by so many points. They have to. But it's so hard to even fathom that Bama's going to lose to Florida because nobody's going to come within two touchdowns of Bama. I, it, I think I mean, so, too. It's easy to say that now because of how they're playing. I don't know. It's hard. Personally, I think that Ohio State needs to be outside of the top five. Put them at six. Put them at seven. Do whatever you can, but you you just you got to put someone else in there because Ohio State doesn't deserve to be there. But for... Do you think style points come into a factor for this Northwestern game? I mean, if Ohio State can put up those numbers, maybe. Well, what about the other side of the coin? What if they win by three? Against that kind of Northwestern team, you got to put up some kind of points to to make any sort of waves to me. I I agree. I agree. I this don't get me wrong. I understand. I understand that the money and the conference revenue is pretty much the driving force behind what the Big Ten did and pretty much trying to secure Ohio State a spot. And and I'm I'm not angry at that because I can understand the, po- the political revenue side of this. But it is so unfair to other teams like A&M, Florida, Cincinnati, that Ohio State gets to play half their games and, you know, they're treated like royalty. It is, it's a little disheartening because now we're seeing the same old CFP and the outlier, no matter how good they are, is a team that has played half the games than the others. Yeah. It's always a week-to-week thing with them. Honestly, Ohio State, you don't deserve to be there. You might play well in the playoff if you're put there, but that doesn't matter. You don't deserve to be there. Put someone that deserves to be there. Put Florida. Florida deserves to be there. Yeah, they lost one. They lost one by three. You you almost lost to an Indiana team by seven. You won by seven, I should say. But Florida has played up and down better than Ohio State this year. Um, I mean, shit. Coastal has more ranked wins. Yeah, we, yeah. I, so that's we're done with Ohio State. We're gonna do the rankings here in a minute. We're gonna do now. We're gonna look at college football awards because those are gonna be coming up very soon. Uh, we're gonna start at the bottom. We're gonna do the Heisman last because I got some stuff to say about that. Um, let me move down here. We're gonna start with the Jim Thorpe as the best defensive back in the country. The finalists, we got Shakur Brown from Michigan State, Ahmad Gardner from Cincinnati, Kyle Hamilton from Notre Dame, Shamar Jean Charles from App State, Josh Joby from Alabama, Elijah Molden from Washington, Tyke Smith, West Virginia, Patrick Sertan, the second Alabama, Blake Trahan, Louisiana, and Rodarius Williams, Oklahoma State. Now, fortunately, in college football, we have a lot of great defensive backs. Um, 
Cincinnati's defensive backs defensive back group has come along this year and they've proved it. Um, but to me, this award has to go to Patrick Sertan. Probably the best corner in college football right now. Um, yeah, I, I mean, a lot of people would call him cornerback one. There's a like Caleb Farley, from, Caleb Farley from Virginia Tech would be up there, or J.C. Horn from South Carolina. But Patrick Sertan is, in my opinion, the best defense, the best corner in in college football. I agree, and it really turn it comes down to, you know, the valuability on the field and the difference he makes when he's not there, you know? Yeah. And he is definitely the most valuable corner out there right now. I I agree with your prediction about this about this award. I mean, there's a lot I mean, it sucks because a lot of these guys don't really get the time on TV that Bama does unless you're like a diehard, you know, Appalachian State or Cincinnati or West Virginia fan. Like, it's it's gonna go to to Sertan. Um, he's the best press man corner in college football. He is the poster child for lockdown. Um, but that's just me. I think he's gonna win it. These all all of these guys all deserve to be a finalist. But Sertan's gonna win this award most likely. Uh, on to the next one. We got the Ted Hendricks Award. It is for edge rushers in college football. So at number one, we've got our former high school classmate leading the Power Five in QB pressure percentage. If you know me, you know I love pressure percentages because that means how dominant you are off the line. So I got Nick. We got Nick Benito out of Oklahoma, Taryn Jackson out of Coastal Carolina. Excuse me if I mispronounce this name. Mijai Sanders out of Cincinnati, Jordan Smith out of UAB. We've got another one I don't really know how to pronounce, but we're going to do it anyway. Zion. To Puola Fetui from Washington and Rashad Weaver out of Pitt. Um, with the emergence of Coastal Carolina's defensive line, Taron Jackson has been a force for them. Um, he's played incredible. Nick Benito is another incredible edge rusher. He's come on as of late. Um, he's starting to really feel out his role on that Oklahoma defensive line and bring back their defense um, to me, I got to give this one to Taron Jackson just because of how good Coastal Carolina's defensive line has been this year and how well he's played. But you look at um, Zion from uh, Washington, he's he, he leads the Power Five in a pass rush grade. I don't know. This one's tough. This one's tough to me. Yeah, you know, and it's the difference of teams you see because you've got a uh, a big Power 5 school like Oklahoma for Nick Benito. Then you have schools like Coastal and Cincinnati where the competition is vastly different. But nevertheless, you know, Coastal's defense has been on the up and up the last four or five games, and Taron Jackson is, is one of those to thank. You know, and we... He had a pretty good game against BYU, and it's it's close. I'd like to see a non-Power 5 school uh, kind of player win this award. It'd really be nice for me. Yeah, I'd like to see – I mean, obviously I'd like to see Nick Benito do it, but, you know, you got to give it to the best player, and I think it's either going to be 
Taron Jackson or it's going to it might be Rashad Weaver. I mean his his stats are ridiculous, but we move on. Uh let's see what's the next one. Okay. The Dick Butkus Award uh best linebacker or off the ball linebacker, I should say a lot of these guys are off the ball. So we got Zaven Collins out of Tulsa, Jamin Davis out of Kentucky, Mike Jones Jr. at Clemson, Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa out of Notre Dame, and John Radigan at Army. So me, I know Zaven Collins and Owusu Koromoa are both projected. I think Zaven is a late first round pick. I think both of them are late first round picks projected. Uh Zaven Collins is playing out of his mind. He is playing out of his mind for Tulsa. If you don't watch Tulsa, you're gonna know. We're gonna we're gonna teach you about. We're gonna teach you, Jesus. You're gonna know he about is, David. He's Collins. been having he's been having a great 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 year. I've been watching a little bit of Tulsa football. He, he is, is explosive. And it's the same thing with Uso Cormo out of Notre Dame. If you've watched uh, some college football, you've heard his name for sure, definitely. Um, he, I, he's a coverage linebacker. He's not a blitzer. He's not a thumper. He doesn't stop the run. He is essentially, I mean, he could be a strong safety just playing in the box, but he, off the ball, he's incredible, great in coverage. I expect either one of these two to win it. I mean, you could see Jamin Davis out of Kentucky because Kentucky's defense was very good in the beginning of the year, but – I they've fallen either, off as of late. Yeah, they've fallen off quite a bit, but uh, I'd like to see a Wusa or Zaven Collins win it. I think it's going to be Zaven Collins just because he's been playing unreal this year. So, Yeah, next up, we got actually the Ring, uh, Remington, which is yeah. the best center in college football. <clears throat> and, you know, our uh, finalists are uh, Mike Nowitzki from Buffalo, Tyler Lindenbaum from Iowa, Drake Jackson from Kentucky. I like him a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, Noah Hannon from App State. And then Landon Dickerson for Alabama. Landon Dickerson, I, I've i been praising this Alabama O-line pretty much since the start of the season. He, and you know, it pretty much goes around either Dickerson or Leatherwood. Mm-hmm. Um, Dickerson is a team leader on and off the field. And he is just, he's fantastic. He's consistent. I haven't seen a bad snap all year. I, you know, when it comes to centers, it's a lot of leadership qualities because it's, they're underrated. Oh, offensive linemen, the men in the trenches never get the respect they deserve. Fair. That's, that's very true. So I got to give it to either, you know, Drake Jackson or Landon Dickerson. I think it'll probably go to Dickerson just because of, uh, you know, he's probably going to be playing center for the college football playoff and hopefully in the national championship game. He's going to get a couple more games under his belt than these other finalists. Uh, I I think this is, it's close though, but I'd give it to Landon Dickerson. Yeah, I'm looking at these right now, and everyone knows that Iowa's offensive line has some big boys on it, and they protect the quarterback, and they and they block when it's running. So, Linderbaum, he's sick. Uh, Drake Jackson, Kentucky's offensive line is still very good, but I Landon Dickerson out of Bama, I, he is the centerpiece of that offensive line. Now Leatherwood is a vet, 
both of them are veterans, but Dickerson is playing so solid. Um, I, I, I Most likely, to me, they're probably going to give this to the Iowa offensive line here just because of how well they do when it comes down to protecting the quarterbacks and protecting the quarterback and not allowing pressures. Um, but yeah, I agree with you that offensive linemen are overlooked in a sense. Um, they do so much work and they make these quarterbacks look so good, but I, 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 it's going to be in between Dickerson or Linderbaum. And I think it's going to be Linderbaum just because Iowa's notorious for off good offensive linemen. I mean, that's just the big 10 in, ger- in general. Mm-hmm. So again, now next we have the Outland Award. This one is pretty weird because it has both interior offensive linemen and defensive linemen, but we're just going to go down the list. Um, starting with Brady Christensen out of BYU, Christian Darrisaw out of Virginia Tech. Again, we have Tyler Linderbaum in here from Iowa, Kane Madden out of Marshall, and Aleem McNeil out of North Carolina State. Um, I'm going to start with Brady Christensen. He has a tough job protecting Zach Wilson, um, but Zach Wilson's good enough to where he – don't quote me here, anybody. He, many flashes of Patrick Mahomes because of him escaping the pocket, uh, sustaining drives, extending plays, making plays with his feet. You know, he – they're doing a great job protecting him, but Zach Wilson makes the plays on his own a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. But, uh, Christian Derisaw, incredible lineman out of Virginia Tech, projected first-round pick. Uh, he's awesome. He protects that. He's one of the best tackles in the country. He can play inside. He can play outside. Very, very expendable. He's great. Uh, we've already talked about Linderbaum. Okay, I haven't really watched much of Marshall. I know they're ranked. I know they're playing well. So it doesn't surprise me to see a Marshall O-lineman in here. Same thing with North Carolina State. I haven't watched much of them, so I really don't know. But – for me, this probably either goes to Darisaw or, or Linderbaum. So, well, hear me out, Chris Christensen, or I don't really know how to pronounce the name, but yeah. yeah, from BYU. I'm I'm looking over his stats, and the these stats are a week late. Um, unfortunately, the uh, award lineups have not been updated after last week's games, mm-hmm. but nevertheless. He has only allowed two pressures on his quarterback, Zach Wilson, in 293 attempts. That, I, no, if that isn't perfect, I don't know what is. I, I mean, the only, the only, actually, I'm actually surprised not to see Elijah Vera Tucker on here from USC. If they're talking about interior offensive linemen, he's one of the best. He has mm-hmm. a lot of pressure this year. I don't know why he's not on here, which is surprising, but go off. I'm gonna let you uh, talk about the John Mackey Award because I want to talk about the uh, the Bolitnikov, but the John Mackey Award shouldn't really be close. Yeah, this one is is kind of redundant. Uh, I'm just gonna read them off here. They deserve all the respect either way. Charlie Collar to Iowa State. This is tight ends, the best tight end in the nation. And you, if you know tight end in college football, you probably know who this is gonna go to. But anyway, Hunter Long out of Boston College, Kyle Pitts out of Florida. Austin Stogner out of Oklahoma, Josh Wiley, Cincinnati. So this award is going to go to Kyle Pitts. He is having the best receiving season for a tight end in college football history. He is playing out of his mind, and everyone who's watching college football knows who this is. He, I mean, receiving 
is another part. He can block. I mean, he is one of the best tight end prospects anyone's ever seen in college football. Like, granted, he is benefiting from matchups because he's, what, 6'4", 250? He is as big as a tight end, as agile as a wide receiver. He's a great route runner. He's got great hands. He's fast. I mean, he is has all the traits of being the next George Kittle, Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller. He has all of these traits that I hope he carries over to the NFL because this guy could be one of the best tight ends in the NFL in the next coming years. That's just an overreaction for me just because from what I'm seeing here. So this award's going to go to him. It's a landslide. It's not even close. Yeah, this next one um, is probably the most competitive. Uh, it is the uh, Bolitnikov. And it is the most outstanding receiver, usually. Mm -hmm. um, Kyle Pitts is actually in the running for this just because of how much he has done for that Florida offense. But we got uh, Jalen Darden from North Texas, which I haven't watched a lot of uh, NC football this season, so I can't really talk about that. But for the others, the big three, the middle three, Elijah Moore for Ole Miss, which is probably one of the most dominant receivers in SEC football, maybe even the country. Uh, Kyle Pitts, we've already talked about what he's done for Florida. Devontae Smith for Alabama, who I believe is the best receiver in college football. And Garrett Wilson from Ohio State. Uh, I'm surprised Chris Olave from OSU also isn't in this list. But nevertheless, you know, I think this has to go to Devontae. I think he is life-changing on the field he's explosive to watch and never there isn't a play where he catches the ball where i don't just say wow yeah i've i've honestly uh, you got to give credit to mac jones as well i mean he's he he throws one of the prettiest deep balls i've ever seen but in order for Devontae smith to do that he i mean Devontae smith has the speed the route running the hands he's got it all he has everything that you want in a receiver um, I'm going to go down the list with you as well. Jalen Darden. I haven't watched more, much North Texas. He's have, probably having a great season. Congrats to him. Oh, by the way, this is all according to PFF, Pro Football Focus. So this is where we're getting all our stuff from. Um, Elijah Moore, I mean, he's had a breakout year for Ole Miss. He's become their leading receiver. I mean, he's had probably the best uh, training because he played behind A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf before they went to the NFL. He's had probably – the best tutelage out of any receiver I've ever in any receiver room in college football. Um, uh, Kyle Pitts, again, we mentioned him as tight end. A tight end's never won the Blitnikoff, so I don't expect him to. He's lined up outside a lot, and he, I mean, he's he's worked some corners before. I mean, he's he smoked them. Um, he's lined up outside, but most of the time he's receiving a tight end's grade, so that's that. Uh, Devontae Smith, best receiver in college football. Maybe that's Jalen Waddle when he's on the field. Both are very explosive, but Devontae Smith is having an unbelievable season. Uh, he is breaking Amari Cooper's records in the SEC. He's breaking records almost every game. So this this award goes to him for sure. Um, against LSU, he made Derek Stingley look stupid. He did. He he, he really did. Stupid. It was... And uh, I wanna I wanna ask you something real quick 
because you yeah. mentions, mentioned his name and I was waiting for it to come up organically. Mm-hmm. Jalen Waddle's back in the gym as of uh, Wednesday of this week. And, you know, he is actually given time off and if everything goes the way they think it will, he is on schedule to take the field in the national championship game. <laughs> With that being said, and missing a majority of the season this year, him being a junior and the outstanding quarterback and wide receiver class that we have going into the draft this year, do you believe he comes back? Um, you know, the injury certainly has set him back. Um, but I don't think that's going to take away from his play, so to speak. I mean, it's probably, oh, he might be a little more cautious than he usually is, than he usually was pre-injury. But I don't think he comes back just because he's projected top 20 in the draft. So I don't know. And plus he's losing Mac Jones. Now we don't know how Bryce Young's going to play when he's put in, but you have everything's going well for this Bama team this year. Everything receivers, running back, quarterback, defense, everything, every facet of the game is working even without Jalen Waddle. Now when Jalen Waddle's on the field, this whole team is a whole different story, but I don't believe he comes back just for the fact that, you know, he's, he's going to get drafted. He has no reason to go back. He's just hurting himself even more. Um, He has nothing left to prove at Bama. Like literally, he has nothing left to prove. So, I think he. I think he just leaves. I think he goes out. I don't think he needs to come back. Uh, I'd like to see him come back, but I, oh, I'm yeah. gonna have to believe him. Um, we got the Doak Walker Award. Uh, this is the best running back in the country. The finalists: Michael Carter, North Carolina; Brees Hall, Iowa State; Najee Harris, Alabama; Khalil Herbert, Virginia Tech; Jarrett Patterson, Buffalo and Javante Williams, North Carolina. Now, North Carolina has probably the best two-headed monster in the in college football. Michael Carter and Javante Williams are incredible running backs. They split carries. They're both game changers when on the field. Surprised to not see uh, Travis Etienne on here. Just noticed that. Um, that's very weird, but regardless. Um, Michael Carter, great running back. Uh, Brees Hall has been consistent for the past two years. Uh, everyone knows about Najee Harris. I mean, come on. Uh, Khalil Herbert, Virginia Tech, great running back. Last week, Jarrett Patterson. If you watched college he, football he won, last week, he won the award last week. This is over. Like, it's unbelievable. Video game numbers. Unlike... That unfathomable numbers. I I've never seen that before. Apparently, he's used to doing this. Like, <laughs> I don't even know. Um, he's averaging over five yards per carry after after contact. He has six thirty-plus touchdown runs this year. Thirty yards touchdown runs. I mean, he's a tank. He's an absolute tank. Um. Like I said, having two North Carolina running backs as favorites for the Doak Walker is insane. Um, they rank first and third in the FBS, FBS in the percentage of runs that have gone for 10 yards or more, which is incredible. <laughs> um, 
But in terms of longevity and continued dominance, I think this award goes to Najee Harris just because of, I mean, he's electric, man. He is electric. He is a game changer on the field. He's good at it. He's good at it receiving the backfield. His cuts are incredible. His vision is top notch. I mean, complete running back right there. Yep. Uh, you know, I want to, outside of the Heisman and the Boletnikov, I think this is probably the toughest uh, award to win this year, which is Coach of the Year. And the, the candidates for this, the finalists for this, are all impressive in their own way. You know, we have Tom Allen leading it um, for Indiana, Jamie Chadwell for Coastal Carolina, Luke Fickle for Cincinnati, Brian Kelly for Notre Dame, and Dan Mullen for Florida. And I think it's got to come down between Tom Allen and Luke Fickle for Cincinnati. Tom Allen has turned around the Indiana program. The yep. Indiana program used to be, you know, the sleeper game that you get before championship weekend or just, you know, one of those warm-up games. But now they're a dominant Big Ten uh, program. And on the other end of that with Cincinnati, Cincinnati's always been one of those like 22 to 25 ranked teams. But what they've done this season with, you know, the size differential between, you know, your power five schools, they look really, really good. And it, beyond the talent, I got to give it to Luke Fickle here. It's, it's got to be between those two. Yeah. I just, I'm just looking at the list here. I mean, Tom Allen is one of the most well-liked coach in college football. I mean, his players love him. They love playing for him, and it shows by how well they've done this year. Jamie Chadwell at Coastal, great coach. He's turned around a Coastal football team that has been a laughing stock. They were never that great, and then they're ranked this year, so they, he deserves all that respect. Um, Luke Fickle has – another coach that's all of these coaches are deserving of this award, but Luke Fickles turned around a team in Cincinnati that, like you said, has been a 20 to 25 team to more of a powerhouse that deserves respect around college football. Uh, Brian Kelly. I mean, Notre Dame has been notorious for being overrated, losing games. They shouldn't have, but this year was just different for them. I think this was the year their team kind of came together and, Everything was clicking, and it shows. They're great. Uh, Dan Mullen out of Florida. Yeah, uh, this is, uh, you know, what can you say? I mean, he's a great coach. He has turned around a Florida program that was struggling too. Uh, Kyle Trask has played incredible. Um, I don't think he wins this award. I I think this award goes to Tom Allen just because of how – great Indiana's been and how well-liked he is around college football. I I mean, Chadwell and Fickle both are, again, another deserving candidates of this award, but I think this one goes to Allen. I I think so, too. He just, uh, he established such a winning kind of mentality for Indiana and the, uh, we come here to win and we're going to do everything we can and we will leave it on the field. And it showed from the very first game with the the two-point conversion over Penn State, they they came to win, and they, they will fight. And Tom Allen has instilled that in that program. And yeah, it's for the better. I'm excited to see how they do next season in the Big Ten. Uh, 
But uh, let's get to the the big, big, big trophy, the yeah. one that everyone talks about, the Heisman. So this award usually goes to the best player in college football all around, usually, which is mainly a quarterback. The last time it wasn't a quarterback, it was Derrick Henry, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, sir. I mean, the finalists here – Justin Fields, Mac Jones, Trevor Lawrence, Kyle Trask, and Zach Wilson. Now, I believe there should be other names on this list other than quarterbacks, like Kyle Pitts, uh, Devontae Smith, Najee Harris, Jared Patterson. Those guys deserve to be on this list, but it's going to be a quarterback again. So we're just going to go down the list here. Uh, Justin Fields, maybe – uh, he's, I mean, his play this year has certainly damaged his Heisman promise and Heisman ranking. So I don't believe he wins this one. I'm going to skip Mac Jones and Trevor Lawrence just for now. I'm going to go to Zach Wilson. Yes, he's played well this year. I love Zach Wilson. I think he's an incredible quarterback. I don't think he, uh, it's so tough to say he doesn't deserve the Heisman, but it's continued dominance they look for not a one-year kind of thing. So, yep. sorry. Kyle Trask. Now, he is putting up unreal numbers. Yes. Are we going to talk about the running game? This Yes. Yes! You have to overlook that and have to see that he is benefiting from Florida having literally zero running game. Zero. They cannot run the football at all. Kyle Trask throws the ball 40 to 50 times a game. Now, does he He also does benefit from having Kyle Pitts, Kadarius Toney, and Trayvon Grimes in his, at his disposal. Now, that's not to say Mac Jones didn't have Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith, but they had Najee Harris. They can run the ball. Najee Harris gets 20-plus carries a game. Their running back doesn't, and if he does, he's not getting more than 100 yards. Maybe. He's never getting that. So Kyle Trask, yes, he's putting up awesome numbers. He's playing great. He's, I'm not saying he's a bad quarterback, but you have to overlook that. You have to overlook that this team is one-dimensional on offense. They throw the ball. That's it. Mac Jones in Alabama, they have a – they distribute the ball. Now, Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle, when they're on the field, they're the two most explosive wide receivers in college football. That's a fact. And Najee Harris can run the ball – like a beast. And he shows that every week. Mac Jones is putting up not the same numbers, but damn near the same numbers on less attempts in the game. Well, well hear me out. Here's a stat that I think uh, is very, very interesting. Last week's games, Ella, uh, Florida played Tennessee and Alabama played LSU. And I can, I'd like to believe that LSU and Tennessee, in terms of strength of schedule, are kind of on the same level. Florida had 433 passing yards on 19 rushing yards. 19. I mean, Alabama had 385 passing yards on 265 rushing yards. I, I mean, yes. Yeah. Yeah, this is what I, I this is what I've been saying. That 19 rushing I mean, I was kind of worried about the Florida game coming up next week as a Bama fan, but uh Looking at the rushing yards the last few weeks, I am suddenly extremely confident. 
No, Bama's gonna Bama's gonna swallow them up in the. Well, race. you gotta they're run the ball against Bama. Yeah, they're gonna be forced to throw the ball. Now, Florida can throw the ball, but you think who's in Alabama's secondary? Josh Joby, Malachi Moore, Jordan Battle, Patrick Sertan—they got it covered. Dylan yeah, Moses, be fine. linebacker, they'll be fine. Christian Barrymore in the D-line, they'll be 100% okay. I can almost guarantee that they're going to be okay. Now, with that being said, I think the Heisman goes to Mac Jones. Tre- Actually, you know what? I'm going st- to take a step back. It's probably going to go to Trevor Lawrence. probably going to go to Trevor Lawrence just because he's been at Clemson for so, so long. He's dominated. He's only lost – one game that he's played in in his college football career, and that was the national championship last year to Clemson or to LSU. Sorry, um, you can't count the game against Notre Dame as a loss. He didn't play, so continued dominance. Trevor Lawrence wins the Heisman. It's a fact. Mac Jones, I'd love to see him win the Heisman, but he's not going to. He's been he's only been the starter for a year. He did start the bowl game last year, but that doesn't really matter. He started one year. He's played incredible. I mean, he certainly improved his draft stock significantly. Um, but Trevor Lawrence is the pick here for Heisman just because of continued dominance. Yep, I I think so too. He's been destined to win the uh, the Heisman probably since birth at this point. But um, <laughs> you know I yeah keep I, I I I agree. I think it'll go to Trevor Lawrence. I think uh, Justin Fields hasn't played nearly enough games to win it. Mac Jones has will probably come runner up. Kyle Trask, I think the committee for the Heisman will look at the what you were saying about rushing yards and the lack thereof of running game. And then Zach Wilson doesn't have the dominant, dominance that these other quarterbacks have on the field. And I, I think it'll come down to a Trevor Lawrence, Mac Jones, and it may actually come down to who, uh, who can play better in, the, uh, in their championship weekend. Yeah. That, I mean, everyone's saying that the winner of the SEC championship wins the Heisman. I, I mean, I agreed with that a couple weeks ago, but nah. I kind of – you have to look at Trevor Lawrence over the years. I mean, this kid's the best quarterback prospect we've seen probably since Andrew Luck. So, he he's awesome. He's probably going to win it. Um, I want to talk about rankings just for a minute. Um, just looking at the top ten, uh, Georgia's still at – Number nine, disgusting. Get him out. Um, a two-loss, a two-loss Iowa State over a no-loss Cincinnati surprised me. Well, they obliterated um, what was it, West Virginia last week. I think uh, they they won like forty-two to six. Yeah, it was forty-two six. So yeah, they're going to be in the Big Twelve championship. Um, but yeah, I guess uh, I mean. The rankings for me are always a big topic because I just want to see where this committee puts these teams. And Miami at 10, look, if they beat North Carolina this weekend, I'd put them ahead of Georgia. But, ah, Jesus, I don't even know. I mean, Florida still needs to be above Texas A&M. They need to be. They need to. I don't care about the loss. I don't care. In a rematch, Florida kills them. I I know I know and uh, body of work and all this noise. It's uh, Florida's the better team, but nevertheless, we've got championship weekend here in a couple weeks. A lot of things are going to change. I don't I don't expect A and M to to keep up this uh 
this five spot here for much longer. Yeah, I don't either. Um, I don't expect that. So, uh, with that being said, I think that's all we got this week. Um, it sucks the college football season's almost over. It's been weird. It's been interesting. It's been fun. Um, but you know, the best weeks are yet to come. We still have championship weekend. We still got the, we still got the playoffs. So, a lot to look forward to. Um, you know, that's it for me. Um, what do you got? You have anything else? Not a thing. Uh, I'm excited for next episode to talk about championship weekend and break down all the really good matchups we'll, we, that we are going to see. But uh, until then, I'm good. All right. So this has been the third and short podcast. Have a great Friday, everybody, and a great college football Saturday. Later.